welcome back to the History Machine podcast. This is our first bonus episode on possibly one of the most important and influential battles throughout history, the Great Emu Wars. It's something for more modern warfare, one of the real era-defining, you know, kind of globe-defining wars, so we thought we'll go back to the 1930s and what else started there other than the Emu War, you know, it's, it's clearly the most significant thing. The First World War had just pretty much ended, so that was kind of put aside, but now they really have to address how are you actually going to deal with this emu problem? Because it turns out, people generally fight people throughout warfare, but every now and then they actually come across and go to war against animals. And little did we know just how powerful the modern emu was going to turn out to be. So, uh, Cahill, do you want to give a little bit of a background about what kind of happened after World War One and what led to this, you know, catastrophic engagement between man and emu? You know, World War One, you had a lot of people coming back home, and they were given a lot of cheap land in Western Australia, which was, you know, mostly uncolonized at this time. It's still very sparsely populated today. It's a massive state. And once you go outside of Perth, there's not much. They were given this marginal land very cheap. They were promised subsidies on it uh, to grow wheat. Of course, as we entered the Great Depression in the early 30s, the government had no desire to pay back these subsidies, so they needed a scapegoat. And, you know, look what was damaging a lot of the crops. A lot of the emus on their traditional migration from the coast into the interior, they saw this newly irrigated land could get some easy food. The government decided to blame all the problems, all the fact that they hadn't paid their subsidies on these emus. So it turns out that, uh, as you just mentioned, there was a lot of pressure from the farmers to the political class of Australia looking to try and deal with this now scapegoated emu problem. So a couple of these farmers kind of realised that, you know what, we were veterans from World War One, And if there's one thing that defined that conflict, it was machine gun warfare. Now, machine gun warfare had existed before this, it had been used in the time of the Zulus, and it was often referenced that having a machine gun and the enemy not having a machine gun was a distinct and incredible advantage. So the rowdy farmers decided, you know what we need to do? If we get our hands on some machine guns, we can really cut down these non-machine gun wielding emus. But the government didn't feel too comfortable with the idea of having a bunch of farmers trying to go to war effectively with the emus. So instead, they were going to send a one very quite distinguished military head, Major GPW Meredith of the 7th heavy battery of the Royal Australian Artillery. So he was going to go with a, with two other soldiers and they were going to be armed with two Lewis machine guns and 10,000 rounds of ammunition to deal with these emus. So to get started, this is going to be a very interesting engagement because normally in battles, this is probably one of the highest ratio battles we've ever seen of one side having machine guns per person and the other side having absolutely zero technology at all. This one, it's the classic British Commonwealth setup where you have a handful of lads with machine guns versus dozens to hundreds of an opposing unarmed army, essentially. Pretty much, yeah. A technologically unadvanced army that doesn't have the, the capabilities, the logistics, the supply chain, the command structure of a modern military against that that actually does have it. It was one thing to be noticed at the time when these Australians decided they were going to take on the emus. They noticed that the head of the emus was a very strange tall emu, a little bit taller than the rest, with quite unique black plumage. This is the general of the emus for the Great Emu War, and we refer to him as Black Plume. 
Uh, so kind of like Blackbeard, very rememberable <laughs> name here. But um, uh, he's, we're going to discover very soon that this is a very distinguished and standout emu. So the very first battle, the first engagement, with a couple of lads, two literally a couple, two lads with machine guns. They're going to go and wipe out the unarmed natives. And the 2nd of November 1932, the, the first battle of the Great Emu War. The initial engagement was actually delayed because there was poor weather. But the first skirmish then began on November 2nd and the emus resist the Australians' plan to effectively herd them into a small area and shoot them to pieces. And very quickly upon gunfire entering into the emus, they scatter heavily and they resort to mass guerrilla tactics and are almost impossible to engage or to shoot down. Yeah, so here you see some of the classical you know, guerrilla tactics employed masterfully by the emus use their superior flexibility, maneuverability, and knowledge of the terrain to just outmaneuver and stay out of range of the machine gun fire. They refuse to be herded, they keep splitting into smaller groups, they have no issue, you know, subdividing the command and going into different sized groups, uh, going off into different directions, making them just a hard target to hit. The history machine, it had this about 50-50. Humans had machine guns, but there were more emus, and they were an unfamiliar foe too, they weren't quite sure what to do with them yet. From this General Black Plume takes 0.5 wins over expectation. Though the casualties dealt on both sides, the emus didn't try to kill any of the humans. They were unsuccessful in dealing out any casualties. But the humans also unsuccessful really in de- delivering any, uh, any significant damage to the emus in this one. Now we'll discover later that that effectively was not the emu's plan to deal out casualties. But even looking at some of the statistics, effectively the win over expectation was 0.5. So it's right down the middle, right down an average. This could have been a coin flip battle here for the humans to win. The amount of emus that were saved by the courage of General Black Plume is outstanding. They were also quite a merciful animal in the sense that they didn't actually wipe out any of the people. And I'm surprised because they could have probably rushed them and taken them all out. But that was not the case here. I think we need to move on to the second engagement where effectively the Australians have decided now that these emus are actually a lot harder to hit than previously uh, thought. They move at a fantastic speed. For this one, the humans decided, or the Australians decided, that they were going to ambush these emus because if the emus see them coming, it's going to get very messy and we could have a repeat of the very first battle. But effectively, the Australians were trying to learn from their mistakes. So they were going to ambush roughly a thousand emus. They're going to fire at point blank range. However, during this battle, one of the guns jammed and the majority of the emus get to escape. For this one, the history machine basically felt that humans, yeah, they, they should have learned from their mistakes. It's an ambush. So they have that advantage, they're at much closer range, and really they should have figured out a bit more about how to fight the emus. So it gave them the heavy advantage, nothing went to plan, and uh, yeah, the emus in this one, uh, General Black Plume gained a wins over expectation of 0.742, so this is a real massive win for the emus here, as again, they just, they outmaneuver the humans, dealing yet another psychological blow. The emus escape to fight another day, and, you know, the, the real thing with guerrilla tactics itself, it's not about defeating your opponent by dealing out more casualties, it's really about outlasting them. So minimizing your own, own casualties is priority number one, and they do this time and again. That's pretty impressive. Now, at this point, uh, you did mention they're minimizing the casualties. Only several handful of emus have actually died in, in two battles of engagements. Well over a thousand emus in the, in the ambush. This is pretty outlandish, especially when you consider this is two Lewis machine guns set up and firing. 
Famously, these kind of machine guns will be used in battles like the Somme, where people will go over the top and trench and just be, you know, needlessly gunned down trying to charge forward. But we can see here with these emus, they're actually able to uh, find a way through it. So these things seem to be like tanks that are able to, you know, wrap themselves around bullets as they're being fired at them. Very, uh, very agile. We do see that uh, in this battle, the Australians are far too reliant on their technology. One of their machine guns malfunctions. Only about a dozen or so casualties of a thousand emus actually happens. And the rest continue then to cause havoc to the Australian Artillery Brigade. Big, big problems. Um, after this engagement, funny enough, the Australians get a little bit frustrated. So they decide to mount a machine gun to a truck, chase after the emus to a certain extent. Two main problems they come across. One, the emus are pretty damn fast, regardless of whether or not you chase them with a truck. And two, it's an off-road venture with effectively an old school truck. So it's not something that you'd imagine like a modern, a modern Jeep or a modern vehicle. So the machine gun that they have mounted can barely aim when they're trying to fire at anything. The bullets just seem to go everywhere. And they pretty much get almost no casualties trying to do this. This is them chasing around roughly 2,000 emus. Now with the speed disadvantage quelled, but they still just cannot do any damage. Here is now where we see the guerrilla tactics paying off, because at this stage, the Australians have expended about two and a half thousand rounds of ammunition and have only killed a couple of dozen emus, really. You know, it, it's pathetic, and, and political pressure now is starting to mount to withdraw their troops, because this is just getting embarrassing. For, for any politicians who sanctioned it. Yeah, it's it's uh, there's a huge amount of pressure from home. International pressure is starting to kick in. So this will lead uh, into actually the third battle of the Emu War, which also happened in 1932. And this is the final renewed Australian launched attack. They're going to go in hard. They've learned from a bit of their mistakes. They're going to be a little bit more successful this time. But even with all of that in mind, they barely make a dent in any of these Emu numbers. So in this one, the history machine really feels like you know, you've you've made so many attempts now, surely this time you're going to get it right. I know there are a lot more emus than you, but you have machine guns. You've had mistakes to learn from. You know, it's really now or never. It gave the humans about a 95% chance of winning this. Yes, they did get the casualties up against the emus. They managed to, over the course of several days, take out a few hundred. We're still below expectation. And I think this is where you can claim another another win for the emus bringing the wins over expectation for this battle to 0.95, really. Spending 10 rounds of ammunition per claimed kill, they may not have gotten anywhere near those numbers. They're mounting pressure internationally, because this is making headlines around the world. So there are people laughing at them around the world. They're conservationists getting into them. It's a tactic that you'd see more than 30 years later in the Vietnam War, where they know they can't beat them going toe-to-toe, -to -toe, but they know that they can get media pressure on their side. This is really, you know, it's 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 failing technology versus a faster opponent. It's the closest we will ever get to a Roadrunner cartoon in real life. The emus make full use of this, so yeah, this is it's it's three for three. The emus win. The humans back off. They will never, despite repeated attempts from farmers to get them to redeploy, they will never redeploy. Uh, humans are forced just to build fences. They cannot uh, take on the emus with machine guns. The emus have won. So after this point, uh, with the huge amount of diplomatic pressure, the Australian army effectively decide they're going to pull out of this venture. It's no longer winnable. Also, Major Meredith, who's in charge of this operation, commented about said emus. If we had a military division with the bullet-carrying capacity of these birds, it would face any army in the world. They can face machine guns with the invulnerability of tanks. They are like Zulus who even dum-dum bullets could not stop. 
You know, it's a scary thought. What if these things actually fired back? It'd be pretty terrifying. So in summary, Black Bloom, the head of the emus, effectively was able to pull this out with some guerrilla tactics, a bit of political pressure, and ultimately get the Australians to withdraw, which left them in a very embarrassing situation uh, because they had higher levels of technology, they had possibly better training, they had professional troops ready to go. They even had, you know like uh, trucks on their side at a particular point with even an ambush as an advantage during the second battle and they simply could not deal with these emus. So Cahill, if you don't mind, could you please give me the stats for Black Plume, the head of the emus? We're counting all these battles as wins because they ended the war even though they didn't deal out casualties. Now the, the history machine feels three battles, three wins. The emus, they did not deal out casualties themselves. They didn't have to. But, uh, you know, so the, all those figures, very, very low. But at the same time, they took very few casualties themselves. If I was to compare with all of our generals with more than five battles, like we're talking amongst the best. They're, they're similar to Alexander the Great in terms of preserving their own numbers. And also similar to Alexander the Great in terms of wins over expectation, slightly exceeding him with total wins over expectation of 0.432 uh, on average. Jesus Christ. So they win a battle slightly more against the odds than Alexander the Great. Slightly more. Now, they don't have the same sample size that he had, but um, they're looking they're looking good. They do have the same win percentage, having never lost a battle. Uh, oh, my God. But anyway. The only criticism, really, that the History Machine has of them. Okay. It does feel their commander kills dealt over expectation. Uh, minus 0.36. Now, normally, the, the computer doesn't expect them to take out the enemy commander, but... You know what? It really felt that they had a good shot at it. They didn't take that shot. If they took out even one of them, one in three chance of getting a commander. So uh, the history machine does feel they, they missed their chance in terms of taking out Meredith here. I think it's just that they are, they're more advanced than us. They can win wars without dealing out casualties, which, you know, that, that is the dream, is, is the peaceful resolution. That's and true. Also, the, the ultimate goal of these emus seemed to be a, a, a political strategic uh, win. And I think uh, if they did butcher the people who were involved there, that might have actually hindered that plan to a certain extent. Exactly, yeah. It would have won the battle, but not the war, I think. So with all of that set aside, April Fool's Day, thanks very much for that. Holy <laughs> f- <laughs> hell, what the f*** did we just do? <laughs> but this is what happens when we include emus into a database. And spend two days running a neural network so that it can understand how emu warfare ties into the overall system. <laughs> oh my god yeah for our, for our next episode we'll actually come back with a real one and um, we'll uh, we'll investigate the persians the ancient persians before the greeks thanks very much happy april fool's day i've been me niall and my co-host Cahill. and we'll see you again soon thanks <laughs>